totally natural thing, and it, it's like very, very healthy, healthy. And it's beautiful. Like, you it, like you're out there looking at the mountains all around in nature, like Tweety birds flying by while you're bathing. You're not sealed off in some little fiberglass cubicle. G'day and welcome. This is the Hunting Republic podcast. The podcast where we discuss all things hunting and outdoors. So if you love hunting, camping, fishing, hiking, bushwalking, full driving, or just being in the outdoors, then we reckon you've come to the right place. My name is Luke, I will be your host, and I can't wait to have you along for the journey. So please enjoy this edition of the Hunting Republic podcast. G'day team and welcome to the second edition of the Hunting Republic podcast. I wanted to kick this podcast off by saying thank you to everybody who's had a listen, everybody who's made a comment, all the people who have liked and followed, uh, people who have shared and also to those guys uh, out there who have their own podcasts, who have reached out and made contact. Uh, It's awesome to be in an industry or be in a in a field where everyone is, is just super supportive um it's super encouraging it's really encouraging and um the first episode uh, was a very interesting learning experience a very steep learning curve um and some of the feedback we got has been taken on board um, quality of audio uh, volume um, has been readdressed and re-uploaded and um and we hope the listening experience uh, this time around will be much better. So moving on to the second episode, the uh, the content of the podcast being hunting and outdoors. So we actually had an opportunity to take the uh, take the, the direction of this episode in in a slightly uh, out of the box direction, you might say, with um, compared to the normal content that these sorts of podcasts have. So we had an opportunity to sit down with my mate Keith. Keith is, uh, as you will learn, an adventure motorcyclist. He uh, he has travelled extensively, both in Australia and around the world, and he loves nothing more than loading up his bike and uh, basically just heading out into wherever he needs to or wants to go. And we found that there were a lot of crossover parallels with regards to um, things like uh, choices of gear, uh, considerations for safety, uh, planning, and um, and all that sort of uh, can, you know those things like you know how do you cook, what food do you take? We we cover a bunch of that stuff and more. So we hope that uh, whilst this isn't probably a typical hunting focused episode, uh, we think you'll find it really enjoyable. And uh, Keith has a couple of pretty cool stories he's got a lot of sto- cool stories he tells us a couple in this episode and um we we had a really awesome time just sitting around the fire talking and uh we we hope you enjoyed this episode so please uh sit back and uh and uh, have a, a good listen to episode two of the hunting republic podcast all right welcome to the podcast keith Thank you. Thanks for having me. So joining me on the podcast uh, for this episode, I have uh, my good mate Keith, um, the uh, the Hunting Republic 
and uh, as the topic is or the the I suppose you say the uh, the content is we we like to cover all sorts of things hunting outdoors and um, as our intro mentions camping and forward driving and that sort of thing and uh, got the opportunity this week to hang out with Keith and um, Keith is my my good Irish mate who's a, is a mad keen uh, what would you say, Keith? Adventure motorcyclist. Yeah, a bit of everything, I suppose. Bit Adventure everything. motorcycling, traveling, yeah, anything that's not going to work every day, I guess. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about your background, Keith. You're obviously from Ireland, but uh, you, but you live in Australia now. Yeah, yeah. I've what are we? I think 15 years this year. I've been here. Came over for a. Um, and we and we let you stay here. Yeah, oh, <laughs> reluctantly. <laughs> yeah, it took a while. It took a bit of convincing, but we got there in the end. But no, I came over for, because um, actually a mate of mine, he grew up here. And he, um, yeah, he, he rang me one day after I finished uni and he said, oh, I'm going to go to Australia, you want to come? And I said, oh, well, I've got nothing else planned, so I'll come for a bit of a holiday, you know, a couple of months and and then I'll come back. And uh, yeah, four and a half years, I just didn't leave. <laughs> you didn't leave? They, no. they didn't kick you out and no. you decided to stay? Yeah, just decided to stay. Got a bit of stable work for a while and... Then yeah, did all the residency process and just stayed. So that years. was um, po like post high school, post uni sort of thing. Or? Yeah, post uni. Yeah. Yep. So a couple of months after I finished uni, so yep. did a mechanical engineering degree, and then um, that was kind of just heading into the uh, economic downturn. So mm. it was a, a good time to get out of Europe, I think, and came over here. And there was still a fair bit of work going here, so it worked out well, and kind of. Um, made the most of it I guess. So did you did you work in that field when you first came over? What sort of things did you did you pick that up straight away? Or? No, I did I did everything and anything when I came over first. I I think my first job was a delivery driver for a disability support shop oh, wow. of all things. Yep. Uh yeah, doing deliveries and this was pre pre like smartphone time, so I was doing it with a uh with a uh, phone book with the map in it. Goodness me. <clears throat> so yeah, that was that was crazy thing. That's only you know less than oh, just fifteen years ago. But yeah, that was that was a bit different. And yeah, I did everything: Ricky's labourer, building site, industrial labouring. Yeah, I uh, I wasn't shy. I'd do anything uh, and did everything. And it, uh, yeah, it afforded me a lot of opportunities, I guess. And a lot of different uh, life experiences. And with that in mind, mm. um, you know, like, were you sort of wanting to get into your, your area of study or uh, were you just sort of happy doing what you could do? Or? Yeah, I was just happy just, just kind of, yeah, in getting the different experiences, I suppose. And, yeah, I eventually did end up getting into mining for a while. Did a couple of years out there working all over, all over uh, West Queensland or central of West Queensland. Um, and then... Because of visa restrictions of all things, I ended up moving to Mackay and got another job there and working for a, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention names, but a very large, oh, go for very large tire company Yep. and uh, doing R&D engineering for them. Yep. And that was probably one of my best jobs, actually. I traveled all over the country and all, all the way, basically my, Queensland was my, my home state, but I went to the Northern Territory, New South Wales all over the place it was a, it was a great job but um then uh relationship uh we decided we wanted to go traveling i wanted to go home 
see my family. So we ended up spending nearly two years on the road, um, traveling between here and Europe. Wow. So that was a, that was a long old stint. And, um, like, as I mentioned before, like we, um, I say the, the genre of the, of the podcast is, mm. is about hunting and outdoors and stuff. Mm. And, and you know, Hunter, but, um, yeah. <laughs> you, um, you, you, I know you, you love your motorcycles, you, yep. your, um, your adventure tourism and stuff like that. And, mm. and you've got a couple yeah. and, um, you've <clears> done <throat> some pretty bloody wild things in my books as far as that's concerned. Well, yeah. What, what would be your, your favorite, um, your favorite trip or what well, give us give us one example of a memorable crazy memorable incident i know you've had a few <laughs> yeah yeah there's been a few all right um oh, i guess probably a bit of context for this one it would be um a road from Kathmandu, the nepal road from Kathmandu to ireland uh in the space of about three and a half months i think it was so all through the central central asia and then middle east uh, up out to Eastern Europe and across Europe, and um, we were uh, riding along. We we're in Iran, I think, at this stage, and riding along and just kind of in your own helmet, just relaxing and you know, just in your own little headspace. And sometimes you just see something out of your peripheral, or you just kind of something's happening, and you kind of you're not sure what, but you, you know, it just is all obviously happening very quickly, but something's happening and you kind of you can't quite process it and i looked over and there's a car next to me and like we were we were tipping along like the road was pretty good so we we're probably doing 100 plus and i looked over and there's this car and the window's open and the passenger's hanging out the window trying to give me a piece of fruit <laughs> at 100k an hour and it's one of those trying things. to sell you fruit <laughs> no no just trying just to give it to me it was a gift it was a and, gift uh, it's one of those kind of things that you think this wouldn't happen in Australia, <laughs> and uh, I don't know what I why I needed a piece of fruit at 100k an hour, but I got one. You took the fruit. Yeah, yeah, I took it. Yeah. What fruit yeah. was it? Do you remember? Uh, I think it was a mandarin or something. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember exactly, but oh, and that was a pretty common occurrence. That was like we'd stop in a town, and we had to stop. We had to stop stopping in in bigger towns, and we'd try and stop in smaller places just to um, just to reduce the crowds, basically. Because at the time when we traveled through, we were the first first kind of um, Western motorcycles, I suppose you'd say, that have come through in at least a year or more. Um, because they had a bit of a restriction for a little while on bigger motorcycles. So they, um, yeah, we, we would draw a crowd everywhere we stopped. So we decided, that's another incident, we decided to stop in smaller places. And uh, we pulled up at this, we were in the middle of nowhere, pulled up at this shop, and there was a shop and there was a house, nothing else around. And they, uh, we pulled up and went into the shop, bought some water and drinks and whatever we needed. And we uh, instantly, there was a group of young kids mm. uh, pulled up on scooters, and they were, you know, they saw us and they started doing wheelies and stoppies, <laughs> and like, you know, there'd be two or three of them on the bike just doing tricks and stuff. And that was you know, good entertainment. So there was a bit of a bit of commotion happening outside and the house that was next to the shop, the door opened and this man walks out and he's just got a towel around his waist and he's looked out at us, not with any, not an unfriendly look, but just mm. had a look at us kind of, you know, what's going on out here. Shut the door again. We thought, oh, you know, he's had a look. He knows what's happening. So he opens the door again and he hands out a bowl of dates. So like I'm talking a bowl of dates, mm. like a massive bowl of them. Oh, sorry, cherries it was. Not not dates, it was cherries. Hands, hands us this massive bowl of cherries. 
and we're kind of standing there with this bowl of cherries like what are we going to do with this mm. and he just didn't say a word didn't didn't say or do anything hand us the bowl of cherries and shut the door <laughs> <laughs> so we're just standing there with a bowl of cherries so we had a lot of cherries and, what was uh, it a gift or you give to the kids yeah, or no, it was just just a gift it was just yeah you're traveling through here's a bowl of cherries what we needed apparently so you're getting you're getting fruit fruit uh given <laughs> yeah, to you at 100 yeah. kilometers an hour on a bike and, <laughs> yeah. and bowls of cherries given to you at random shops along yep. the way uh, and then we were left with the bowl and what are you going to do with a bowl on a motorbike so that was in would you say iran iran yeah yeah and yeah. um so so what sort of uh what i know you've got a few bikes yeah uh, are you allowed to say in front of uh in front of your partner here how many you have does she uh, know only the two <laughs> only the two <laughs> So uh, one lives in Ireland now, and uh, the other one's in the shed here. It's my commuter every everyday bike. And what and what's that one, mate? Uh, both the same. They're identical um, DR650 Suzuki's. Um, so one's black and one's white. They're both 2011. Totally by coincidence. Um, yeah, they almost identical specs. So. And how many? Um, uh, when when did you pick up the one you've got here? How how many miles have you done on it? Oh, my current one. I think I've I picked it up with about ten thousand on it, and I think I've got forty five on it now. Yep. So just commuting miles. I've done a few little trips with it. I went out to uh, did Bundaberg to Cameron Corner via Nindigully Pub. Uh, went to Cameron Corner and then went cross country up to Strzecki Desert and then up to Batuta. Wow. Um, just did a, a week trip, so covered some Ks and. And would most of your trips be solo, or do you go with one other person or a oh, group, or what do you? It, what it do you depends. Prefer? Yeah, I've I've done a few group rides, and yeah, of late I just kind of that that one was just sporadic. I just needed a bit of a week off, so I had a bit of time. Work was quiet, so I um yeah just packed up and went. I had two weeks off, but I ended up doing. I kind of ended up on that trip I had two weeks and after about four days I was like I'm good I'm done now I'm, I'm happy to head home so I turned around and came back I missed my girl <laughs> so when you when you go on a trip like that do you um you know like especially if you're going with yourself or just one other person mm. you've obviously got some significant um you know um considerations with regards to mechanical breakdowns and reliability and mm. safety and planning and you know um so you know what sort of what sort of prep do you do either mechanically or um you know like epurb type things or yeah. you know, what do you what do you do with that because well, i mean in the big scheme of things like you know for most people um i suppose listening to this podcast with with hunting in mind and and being mm. in the outdoors and and that sort of stuff then you know like when I go myself, or or even with even with just if I'm with other, one other person, that it's you know one foot in front of the other is about safety. Mm. Do I take this step? Is is it a safe step to take? Literally, yep. in certain circumstances where you know um, you um, you need to consider that because you're extremely remote, yes. and or you know if um, if you're dealing with with something like wild pigs or whatever that that are you know, known for being dangerous to, to hunters in certain circumstances. Um, that's a, that's a huge consideration. So, you know, what, what sort of stuff do you do in that regard? Yeah. It's, it's funny how that's kind of changed. I know when I first started riding, like when I first learned, especially when I first got started riding, I was just, I ride, ride on my own. I just go places on my own, which now looking back as a, 
a more responsible adult, I guess it was probably not the wisest decision, but things happened and I survived, so it was all good. But yeah, now definitely the the safety aspect has come in, especially solo. You've got a lot more a lot more to think about. I I do carry. I've only just bought it recently. I do carry an EPIRB, mm-hmm. um, obviously for emergencies and. Uh, I did a lot of research and I haven't bought one yet, but I probably will look at either a Garmin InReach or a, a Zolio uh, or however you say it, communicator, just just for that emergency because you obviously don't want to set off an EPIRB if you've just got a mechanical, but mm. um, you know, a lot of the places you go, there's there's not a lot of phone reception out there. Even though it has improved, it's vastly improved over what it used to be, but mm. you know, a lot of the remote stuff, you are remote. There is... If you can't fix it, it's a long walk. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely a consideration now. Things things have changed, but it's a uh, I think it's an essential really. Like it's the way I look at it, it's more of a avoiding you being an inconvenience than anything else. Because I you know I personally would feel horrible. Like I said, setting off an EPIRB for a mechanical would be you know you're activating a lot of resources for. Mm something which isn't really an emergency, like it's an emergency, but it's not life or death. That's it. And, and you know, I, I can speak from, from my side of the corner, I suppose, as, as a, somebody who works in emergency services, that, you know, um, I can understand that perspective, but at the same time, I can um, say I understand the perspective that if it's not set off or, or those mechanical issues can become life-threatening, oh, obviously, you know, sure, and as yeah. you know, out in the middle of the outback, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's that... That's that awareness thing mm-hmm. where you go, okay, well, it's mechanical for now, but yes. in 48 hours, it's yeah. life or death. You That's know? it, yeah. How long is my water going to last? It's yeah, Exactly. You can be a long way from help out there for sure. So have you had any any particular, you know, you're, I don't think I've heard you saying anything about having to obviously set off an EPIRB as such, no. but have you ever had anything crop up that um, sort of got you a bit concerned? Uh, not Not so much, no. Like I tend to... Like even when I, I do sporadic trips like that, I, I tend to keep the bike pretty well maintained, and the DOR is is uh, simple and reliable. I guess you would say it's got it's it's a design that hasn't changed for a very long time, and that's massively um, down to the fact that it is just a simple design. So I tend to just do all the basic mechanicals, make sure it's right before I leave, and. Mm. You know, Touchwood never had a problem in that. You know, never had a problem in a situation where I couldn't fix it. Yeah. But we have had like I've gone on trips. I rode from, uh, we rode from, friends of mine went from Sunny Coast. I went from Bundy um, to Alice Springs out the Plenty Highway, and <laughs> one of those things again. It's you know you look back at it and think you know that could have gone very differently. I uh, got to the end of the of this side of the Plenty Highway and only just got on the dirt and I saw this road train coming and it's it that road is just bulldust and you know you see a road train you get off the road because that road train is not stopping especially for you on a bike and I'd pulled over to the edge of the road we would say and I kind of thought oh I wouldn't mind going a bit further just to get away and as soon as I did it I thought that was the wrong decision and I hit a patch of bulldust, and I was probably, I wasn't going especially fast. I was probably doing maybe 60k, 70k an hour. And uh, I hit this bulldust, and front wheel just went in, tucked straight over the handlebars, head first, bike followed me, end over end. Um, 
And I just, yeah, ended up just sitting on the ground, dust everywhere. And yeah, it's that real nice fine powdery dust that just gets mm -hmm. into everything. And uh, I just remember sitting on the ground going, well, that was a bad decision. <laughs> I really should have just stayed <laughs> on my line. Could have been lucky. Yeah, I didn't really need to get this far off the road. Mm, mm. But um, And then, of course, the road train went past and added to my dust. <laughs> but, yeah, that, you know, again, that comes down to a second decision. Like, it's, mm. I, I could have gone very differently. You know, obviously, there's big repercussions to landing on your head. Luckily, there's not much in mine, so it wasn't so much of an issue. But I, I yeah. won't say anything about being Irish. <laughs> <Yeah>, it helps. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, things like that can happen, and that's you know, I was in a group at that stage, and we had a four-wheel drive with us, and you know, there was doctors and nurses in that group, and um, you know, obviously didn't need them, but could have very well have have needed them. Mm. Uh, and then again, again on that same trip, one of our uh, one of our other mates, when we got to Alice. It was during the um, the Fink Desert race, and we split up to go do different things. I went down to Uluru, and he um, he followed the Fink down the Fink track, and he was riding down. And I think he might have been moving a little bit, but you know that happens. And he came over a bit of a, a crest, and on the other side of the crest was a big hole that he didn't know was there. And he did a very similar thing, but I think probably a lot more violently. Mm. And uh, yeah, he ended up breaking. I think broke his arm in a couple of places. Mm rode the bike off bike was a complete write-off there was bits of bike everywhere yeah and uh again comes down to a bit of luck i think because he had no e-pair with him at the time mm. and um but he still had phone reception just so yeah there was a few people around so they gave him a hand you know got him together got him off the track and um he managed to get on the phone to a mate of his who happened to be in alice for the race and flies helicopters Oh, nice. So he organized his own evac. Mm -hmm. um, so he flew him back to the hospital, got him sorted out, and then obviously ended up flying home from there. Mm. So, yeah, you know, things like that can happen, but, you know, it happened where it happened, and he was able to get help very quickly, but that could also have gone the other way. If you're in a more remote spot, it's not, not in the ideal situation. Oh, 100%. So um, in that in that regard, like... Um, you know, you you obviously like these sorts of trips, these sorts of rides. It's it's you know you're on a bike. Do you, like, do you have you have panniers or you just carry a, a big backpack or how do you ride? Um, I do. I've tried a few different systems. I've <clears throat> I prefer soft bags, so I've done the two main setups I use. If I'm just doing a weekender, mm -hmm. I've got a um, just a throwover bag, which is like a horseshoe shaped bag that just sits over the back seat. Yep. And I strap on. That's just. It's like saddlebags across a horse, literally. Basically, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like a, yeah, exactly the same yep. thing. Um, and that's just, you know, tent, sleeping bag, bit of food, a T-shirt, you know, nothing nothing serious. And then I don't actually, <clears throat> I suppose a bit of experience comes into it too. I don't carry as much as I used to, um, even on longer trips now. Like, I'm, I'm probably what we'd say minimalist. I, two T-shirts, two pairs of jocks, couple of pairs of socks you know don't mm -hmm. don't overthink it don't overpack it because yep. you don't want to carry it it's it's the more weight in the bike the less fun it is really yeah um so yeah i use a two um on my australian bike i've got andy straps which are uh, an australian made canvas pannier so one on either side they're about 30 liters each um and then i try to avoid a top bag but sometimes i'll bring a small waterproof duffel just on top just for you know, it's just essential day-to-day -day stuff like food and 
if I'm carrying a bit more water, a bit more fuel, because um, I do, <clears throat> I've got a safari tank, so I've got about 36 litres in the front, and then I've got a, a couple of sets of different um, fuel bladders as well, so. Yep, and so, like, what do you take for sleeping gear? You know, like, there's a, again, a, a proponent of, of people who, who hunt that, that mm -hmm. like to do the, the the alpine and the backpack hunting and yep. you know I've done a, a few myself and and and, and they have been some of the more memorable trips I've, I've done where you know you load up for a week and, and off you go so yep. you know you've got to consider all all the weight mm. issues and stuff as you just mentioned yep. um you know what, what sort of sleeping kit do you take with you um I've got a few different setups so I originally my first ever motorbike camping trip I used to take a swag wow which uh Oh, it worked. Like it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but they're not small either. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and not light, but for a weekend, it'll do the job. But I don't. I don't think I've had it out for years now. <clears throat> so yeah, most of the time I've got bivy bags as well. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't know. They're they're okay. Bivy bags are good for, you know, a night under a tarp. It's okay, but it's not. For me, you know, I find it a bit too restrictive. It's not as comfortable. Um, and I find too, like I, as you get a holder, I like a good night's sleep, uh, especially if you're going to do some big Ks and you need your concentration up. So, mm, sure. um, well, my go-to at the moment is I've got a, a hiking tent, basically a lightweight two-man tent, yep. uh, North Face. Um, and no, I'm not a big spender. I picked it up on a clearance sale, so I paid very little for it. <laughs> but, nice. uh, it's, it's a brilliant tent like you. It's one of the few things in life if you do spend money on it it's definitely it's worth it like it's yep. i've had that tent for probably going on five or six years mm. and it's been literally around the world mm. um you know the only thing that's ever failed on it is the elastics in the poles gave <laughs> away so a trip to bunnings fixed that um so yeah the north face tent the i use a i was using a sea to summit mat but i now upgraded to a name has escaped me now but it's it's a big plush insulated mat and have to have insulated i'm a very cold sleeper so yeah i can identify with that yeah it's i've tried all different air mattresses and self-inflating mats and everything else and this is i actually prefer this over my bed at home it is that comfortable Ooh. i'll have to get the name for you because i can't remember off the top of my head now but you said the bed at home not the company at home <laughs> hey. uh, it's 50 50. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the mat's essential, and then yeah, good sleeping bag. Um, so for those those people listening uh, to the podcast, um, we're hanging out around the fire tonight mm -hmm. and uh, and dodging a bit of smoke and, yeah. and whatnot, having a, a, a nice wine and a drink. But si sitting alongside of us, being nicely quiet, which is a real struggle. Yeah, it's a shock. Are, uh, are our two partners? <laughs> so, very unusual. So um, yeah, they're they're um, they're doing very well, um, yeah. and. Um, and and it's very much appreciated. Yeah. So it's it's a rare learning lots of secrets. It's mm. a rarity, um, and uh, and yeah, Keith might have got an elbow in the in the ribs just before. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. but um, broken other rib. <laughs> no, I can identify with that, Keith. I've got a, a Vango Four Seasons tent yep. um, that I bought off a, a friend who um, uh, who uh, sort of for one of different reasons moved it on there a long time ago now mm. and. And uh, as I touched on before, I've, I've done a number of, of backpack hunts myself and, you know, um, uh, it's a, it's a one man tent. So, mm -hmm. you know, enough room for yep. yourself, a pair of boots and, and yep. um, that's about it really. But, you know, having said that, I can remember um, using that down in, in Stanthorpe and 
the yeah. Tenerfield area yeah. um, in the middle of winter, Ooh. sitting up, and, and the, the, the frost uh, from the condensation inside the tent falling off onto my head yep. as Been I sat up in that. the morning and <laughs> opening the tent and my, my bow with arrows in it sitting outside covered in frost and, and that sort of thing. And, yep. you know, worth their absolute weight in gold. Oh, and, and even though that weight's not much, you know, no. the price of gold, you can certainly appreciate what they are worth. And, and I, I find as well too, it's... Yeah, you, know, you can get away with say like bivy bag or swag for a night or two, but mm. if you're in it for a week on, week in, you know, just day in, day out, having that tent, even though you know, it may only be one person, mm. it gives you just that, you know, it's your home, like That's you it. are living in it. Yep. You you can wake up in the morning and if it's raining outside you can still sit up. You can, you know, awkwardly get your clothes on. Mm. You know, it get just gives you that and... bit more comfort that you don't you know, you won't have it in Definitely want to have it in a bivy bag. Yeah, so the other thing I um, I also have, the same brand actually, Vango, um, is a, um, it's a minus 15 rated down sleeping bag. Yep. And um, again, I, I absolutely identify with being a cold frog. Yep. Um, I've mentioned in a previous podcast of of uh, hunting trips I've done down to Wellington, south of Dubbo there. And and I've been there in, in winter and uh, as a, uh, a central Queenslander, mm-hmm. um, yes, I've lived in Switzerland, but <laughs> as, a, as a central Queenslander, I can tell you the, the four layers plus the down sleeping bag mm-hmm. plus the swag um, just made me comfortable at yep. night. And uh, the boys used to laugh at me, the dance I'd do in the morning, getting out of all that gear and into my hunting <laughs> gear for the day. Yeah, like the Michelin. Um, can't underrate a, a, good, good, uh, a good tent or swag system and a, and a good sleeping bag 100 percent. yeah so how do you go with um with like your, your your cooking gear you know uh do you take a jet boil or something like that um i've actually got uh probably last year i picked up a it's a jet boil knockoff it was in kmart of all things yeah nice and it's i think it was oh, i might have been 50 bucks i think and it is like it's intense like it's it's not really a cooker it's just a boiled water very very quickly system um, but it does the job. Yep. Uh, previous to that, I actually had a Soto, which is a, a Japanese brand. Um, and it's actually a petrol stove, which is handy when you're on the bike because you can obviously plentiful supply of petrol. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty magic bit of kit. It's again picked it up on special, and it it's been around the world and never had an issue with it. Never had to clean it. Put some fuel in it, pump it up, and away you go. And <clears throat> infinitely adjustable so you can actually cook on it it's not just a, a boiling water system yep but yeah great bit of kit but even though i was surprised with the Kmart one it, it works you know just as well as a jet boil like you're talking i think probably four minutes or something to boil a liter of water and and do you sort of um do you mostly take sort of freeze-dried stuff or what do you prefer what's what would be your luxury Oh. If you, you know, you got to take something that you, you, you know, like a, a snack at night or what, what's your luxury? It's, it's all a luxury, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's better than sleeping on the ground. Yep. Um, no, I would say probably the sleep system would be my luxury. The, the, I do love my food, but um, I can survive a night or two without food. Uh, but yeah, the, the sleep system for sure. I've, I've invested quite a f- bit of money into my various different sleep systems until I found this one that, that works well for me. Yep. And like you said, the down sleeping bag, I use a, a climate or a climate um, down bag. I think it's rated to minus 20 or something. Oh, I love your work. And it's just, yeah. it's Toasty. Oh, yeah. Like you get too hot, you end up having to kick a leg out. Oh, that's, you, you can handle being too hot, eh? Oh, for you sure. can't yeah. sleep if it's you're just, too cold. It's that chill, that, that hour before dawn when the yep. temperature really drops and you just tuck yourself into that down sleeping bag and you don't care. Yeah. <laughs> You can sleep on, and 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 they got to admit that you, you do have a, a rather 
full head of hair unlike I do so the old, <laughs> yeah. the old noggin gets very cold at night oh, so yeah you need the beanie as well you a bit of a beanie, beanie in the hood doesn't go astray yeah you've got to have. <laughs> and, and what's your um your, what is it that that drags you out there you know like a lot of people identify with with hunting and and fishing and that sort of stuff and they, mm. they love you know like, I know a lot of bow hunters for example will say they just like a bushwalk with a bow you know yep. they love irrespective of of shooting animals or or, or, or the actual hunting aspect, they love being out there in nature and, yep. and experiencing that. W- what is it that, that drives you for your, your adventure rides? I guess it's probably a bit of both of those things. Like it's, um, you know, I just love getting out and about. I like being out exploring. I like the freedom. I like just being able to go, mm-hmm. get up in the morning and go, right, I'm going this direction and that's the direction I'm going. Um, and it just, the, the freedom I think a bike offers me over say a four-wheel drive obviously a four-wheel drive you could probably live a bit more luxury but i quite like just having the basics there's something very freeing about just having what you need no more no less you know it's a simple i guess it goes back to like an almost a basic existence where you know although we're living well with our tents and our down sleeping bags and whatnot it's a uh, an existence where day to day you just need fuel food water you know a bit of flat ground to put your tent up on you know it's just simple you mm. just it's it you know minimal bells and whistles and um i guess it's a bit of an escape too like mm. you kind of for me in a way like you head west and you know, west from us on the east coast um you head out into the center and you you throw up your tent and there's not another person within sight and mm-hmm. you're sitting there you know preferably with a fire on and you look up and you see that massive sky full of stars. Yeah. There's no light pollution. There's no sound mm. pollution. You know, that's, it's a pretty magical experience when you get out west. Like 100%. It's, there's not many stars. Like I've, been, I've seen a few starry skies, but there's not many stars that bright. Mm. It's, it's a special place. Same, yeah. I, I, think a lot of, um, I think a lot of hunters can identify with that. You know, mm. I've, I've certainly been to places and... and walk to gullies and creek lines and stuff and you know being being immersed in that and thinking to myself that you know like i wonder if anyone's walked it before and i wonder yeah. when that was if it was at all yep you know and and walking around the bends in in certain creeks or you know up up mountains and hills and gullies or across plateaus and down the other side and that sort of stuff and you sort of think well you know um i walk down this gully and you know see deer and goats and pigs and whatever and have they ever seen someone before? Yep. Yeah, you know, I, I, think, that, I think I think similar sort of thing. a similar kind of thing. You kind of think, you know, how many people have been here before? You know, it's mm. there's a lot of places out there where it would be fairly minimal. Like it, it'd be, you know, it, it's not a lot of traffic out there in a lot of the places. But it's just getting, you know, it's it's getting busier and busier now too. Like it's become such a big pastime, I guess. Like you know, people are traveling more, they're getting out more, and. Mm. You know, it's great. Like it's it's good to see. It gives the the communities a bit of traffic and a bit of income. And you know, there's a, a lot of pubs out there. I've noticed on on the last trip last year. You know, there's a lot of pubs closing down, and you know, can't get staff. You know, they just overheads become too much, and there's just not enough traffic. There's not enough people getting out there, even still, because if you're not on that main tourist drag, you're not mm. going to get your grey nomads, and if you're not you know, Cape York or Simpson Desert, then you're not going to get four-wheel drive into it, yep. into enthusiasts. Um, so it kind of, you, you know, I, you know, my, my partner sometimes kind of 
jokes that you know i do basically a glorified pub crawl but i uh <laughs> you are I, irish man well yeah I, you know, gotta keep <laughs> gotta keep up the stereotype but, um you can't get sober <laughs> no 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 you gotta stay drunk most of the time um but yeah you know I, I i do like to try and and visit a lot of the places if i can and you know even if you just go in and, and buy a drink or buy something to eat and you know just try and contribute a bit because they're you know a lot of those people are doing it tough out there there's absolutely you know it's it's a tough existence like there's mm. some people living out there like i think it was i think it was the pub might have been at cameron corner or just this side of cameron corner um nakondra maybe and i stopped there for the night and chatting to the publican and um you know lovely people you know nice food and got up the next morning i was getting fuel before i left and talking to the lady and she uh she said um she said oh you know it's it's good you know there's a few people coming through and i said oh how busy does it get in summertime and she just looked at me like i had two heads like <laughs> she said yeah we don't get a lot of traffic out here in summertime i said so i said are you still you know you're still out here and so oh yeah we stay here year round wow i said and how hot are we talking she said oh you know it'll get 50 degrees out here i was like oh that's that's not that's a pleasant brutal. existence and she said yeah like you know, you might not, you get trucks coming through occasionally, but that's, that's about all you see. It's like, that's a tough life. That's, mm. that's not a life a lot of people will choose. Mm. It's a, um, yeah, you, you got to feel for those people. That's, yeah, that's why I don't mind stopping there and spending a bit of money. Absolutely. And it's one of the, um, you know, interesting things in, in this day and age with um, a lot of pressure on the pastime of, of hunting and mm. uh, in some aspects too, you know, like four-wheel driving and some of the, the bad press that, that oh, it gets as well. Yeah. But, you know, the, the actual, <clears throat> the economic value it has to to those smaller towns mm. where, you know, like myself and, and, and um, my trips out to um, to Mara there where, where I, I grew up as a kid and then and worked later on in my professional life, um, you know, going to the Bottolo, going to the... To the um, the servo, going to the IGA, the bakery, whatever it is, yep. you know, you're bringing dollars from somewhere else and injecting into that community. Yep. And, um, you know, like apart from the, the time and the experience catching up with, with you know, the um, my, my friend who, who owns the property out there and, and you know, that, um, that, uh, that social aspect as, as well. But, you know, just the dollars that communities get from people, you know, doing these you know, you know, having these pastimes, hmm. um, aside from the grey nomads, you know, yeah. the, the places that the grey nomads don't necessarily go to or stop at, yeah. you know, um, it just doesn't, um, it doesn't get mentioned enough, I don't think, how, no. how much they actually, they benefit from it economically. Yeah, plus, uh, and the, the, I guess the, the opposite side of the grey nomad thing now, I think a lot of the grey nomads are struggling because the price of fuel and everything mm. is hurting them and a lot of them would only be on pensions or self-funded. So and I've noticed a lot on the, a lot of the forms now that they're, you know, they're not spending the money that I used to. They, they don't stop in as many caravan parks and things mm. like that. So they're free camping more, which, you know, they're, they're shopping and cooking themselves instead of going to the pubs. And mm. obviously that doesn't, you know, not every one of them, but, you know, the, the numbers do add up for those small country pubs. And I was actually the, uh, the Nindagali pub, which... It was one of those weird coincidences in life. I was, when I planned the trip, which was only probably a week before I left, I, uh, I saw into our neighbor and said to the neighbor, I'm, I'm gonna go to the Nindagali pub. And they said, oh, I think our friend Jack knows someone that works there. So I messaged my you know, friend Jack, a mutual <laughs> friend, and 
I said, Jack, do you know someone at the Nindigali pub? And he said, yeah, I do. I went to school with a guy that I think his dad owns it or something. <laughs> and he said, oh, if, you, if you go there, just, you know, just mention my name and mention see if they Jack, know him. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> funnily enough, I went in, had a few drinks and had my dinner and the, uh, you, you actually order your dinner and then you go out and collect it from the kitchen. Yep. And then, yeah, I brought my plate back and brought my plate back and I said, oh, just by any chance, do you know, do you know Jack? And the guy looked at me as, yeah, he's looking at me, he's like, yeah, I went to school with him. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, are you, you know, you Jack, you know, you went to school with Jack, you know Jack? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And turns out he actually owns the pub. Wow. So, uh, yeah, that ended up being a bit of a long night. Because <laughs> um, he said, oh, you know, just wait until I finish in the kitchen. I've got a, got a few meals to cook because I'm quite go. busy. But it was an interesting insight talking to him because obviously being a publican out there, he mm. kind of knows all the ins and outs. And yep. he said, it, it's tough. Like he said, you'll get people... And Nindigali is great because it's got a, a lovely river out the front and yep. uh, quite a nice camping area. That's it's not on his land. It's it's I think council land technically, and there's a toilet and that. But he provides toilets and showers at the pub, which is like a gold coin donation type situation. And um, he said people won't even give you a gold coin. And he said the gold coin's not going to me. He said I give it all to the Royal Flying Doctors, wow. um, or whatever charity he's collecting for at the time. Mm. And um, he said, people don't even do that. He says, you know, you're providing hot water, you're providing water, which is a big resource in itself yeah, out there. Absolutely. Um, you know, electricity, all the rest of it goes into it, cleaning. And he said, you know, people are, I guess, that tight that they don't even pay for that, which is a bit sad, you know. Uh, a pub, remote pub, well, semi-remote pub, I guess, like mm. that, that people aren't even going to spend that money. Like, you know, mm. go in and buy a drink, like, try and give something back. Something, yeah. It's, it's interesting you talk about that experience with the... the um, I call it the small world experience. Yeah, six degrees of separation. Um, on uh, on the, the first podcast uh, that, that we, uh, we started with, um, I uh, was talking to you about it earlier. We went hunting with my, my friend Barry and, mm. and his employee. Now, um, you know, we talked about it on the podcast. Barry's, um, you know, I like to give him a slight dig in the ribs, getting on and he's almost 50. <laughs> And uh, and uh, his employee Dave, who who came along as well, his, his friend is is twenty six. Mm. Now, when uh, when we were sort of communicating through uh, our Facebook chat and stuff to to line up the times and the dates and everything for the hunt, and and uh, Barry added Dave into the group after he sort of said, "Oh, look, is it all right if Dave comes along?" And I said, "Okay, yeah, of course it is, mate, absolutely." And I did a bit of a Facebook stalk, and turns out he actually went to school with two of uh, two colleagues that work with me at the at the station that I work at <laughs> there you go. and uh, a couple of young lads and I say young lads because um, mm, I think the you. eldest is only 26 <laughs> and his, his brother's only 23 they, they just happen to work at the same station as yeah. I do and uh, yeah, awesome awesome lads top blokes to work with um, but just as you know they're from a small rural town and just yep. just a real odd small world experience of, of connections through through the pastime you know yeah. and, and I've had all sorts of um, strangely bizarre experiences like that with with um, the pastime over over many years. Yes, for and sure. um, you know, it just it just adds value to the whole thing and layers to it as well. You know, yeah. Well, it just shows us, yeah, it is a small world after all. It's mm. we're all connected somehow. But speaking of small worlds, you've you've seen a hell of a lot of it. Yeah. So at at, at last count, or do you have a count? How many countries have you been to? Oh, we have tried it's, to count. Be thirty-seven. Um, uh, we're close. I think I'm close to the seventy mark. Seventy, seven yeah. zero. Yeah, seven zero. Yeah. Wow. Um, it, it's kind of hard to count because we we actually we were in bed one more Saturday Sunday morning it was, 
and um uh partner said oh should you should actually figure out how many countries so you can tell the story properly <laughs> and, well, you um, your chance, yeah. your chance. so we uh so she downloaded two apps which are supposed to be able to list all the countries and we managed to get two different answers on the apps mm. so i'm not sure if i trust the apps <laughs> um, or is it just you can't count <laughs> <laughs> that's it i ran out of fingers because so, yeah. it's a bit hard this day and age where you don't get post passport stamps in, in a lot of the no, countries either uh, especially got, europe I, and that i've got a few interesting stamps on my passport right but yeah, yeah i haven't haven't got them all and where would um where have you been once that you want to go back to oh i don't know that's always a hard question it's like asking you know, where's your favorite place um, yeah, I didn't ask that though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, luckily, because I don't have an answer for that either. Um, but now I think um, I spent a lot of the time, a lot of time in the Middle East, mm. um, and it was actually I don't know, but a bit of an aside. But it was actually at a time. It was just after the Arab Spring, which is where a lot of the uh, a few of the Arabian countries had their uprisings, and we we decided the Middle East was a good place to go at the time for some reason. Makes um, sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's a logical decision. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was good because there was very few tourists around um, for a reason. Uh, but we had the place to ourselves. But no, we we were lucky. We we got some great experiences out of it. We uh, I think Lebanon's probably one of the places that I would probably go back to. Um, and it, again, it comes down. It's like we were just saying, you know, the the six degrees of separation. Mm. Um, it's a small world. It, it's it becomes the people that you meet. Um, like we went to Lebanon. We were in Jordan. And we wanted to go, we kind of just had a little bit of time. We had something booked in Egypt and um, we kind of spent a little bit of time in Jordan at that stage and we, we said, oh, we should go, go somewhere else. And we basically had a look on the map and said, oh, we, we can't really go to Israel because we were worried about getting a stamp because you get a stamp in your passport from Israel, it eliminates, eliminates you from a few different countries. Mm. Um, so we said, oh, we'll give... give uh, you just think it's sneaking over the border to Israel? Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> so we uh, we decided to uh, just jump on like it was a very like forty minute flight or an hour flight or something. It was very short to uh, to Lebanon and like growing up in in Europe, Lebanon to me was basically at war <laughs> yep. the whole time. So it was a uh, it was going to be an experience. And yeah, we got there and like it's um, it's a massively contrasting city. It's just it's kind of hard. Like the, the way I explained it to people is. I walked down the street and the shops would be like Gucci and Armani and mm. all these crazy brands and you'll have like a, it'll be like a, a Ferrari and a Lamborghini drive down the street and then a tank will down, drive down the street wow. behind them. It's, it's just a, it's a, you know, there's armed soldiers around on every well, yeah, corner and the, the, what do you call it? The cognitive dissonance of trying to, <laughs> yeah. trying to, trying to rationalize that in your brain. And yeah. Like these two things shouldn't be on the same street. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a very, uh, it's a very interesting country, but again, it came down to the people. We, we end up meeting a, uh, a local guy who we, um, befriended and he, he was an engineer. He was a young engineer. I think he might've been still studying at the time. And, um, he kind of reluctantly met up, met up with us. We, we used to couch surf, which was a, mm -hmm. uh, website that you yep. kind of meet local people and you can stay with them if they, you know, if they've got room or you can just it's like do Airbnb it. for backpackers. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It was great back in the day. I think it's monetized now, so it's not so good, but we met some great people through that and we met up with him and you could tell he was a bit worried. We met in a very public place and he looked at us from a distance before he approached. <laughs> it was kind of like hunting and, um, <laughs> he, uh, he eventually kind of worked up the courage and he came over and 
you know, first thing he did was apologize for his English, which was probably better than ours. And um, well, uh, again, you're Irish, but I wasn't. Yeah, say yeah, so. well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a new language for us too. Um, but yeah, he uh, he was a great guy. He still is a great guy. I'm still friends with him now, and that's oh, wow. that's probably oh, what's that? Probably 14, 15 years ago as that's well. Phenomenal. And uh, yeah, so he, oh, I've got a whole list of stories for that country, but he, um, yeah, he became our, our tour guide and our friend and. Mm. I'll tell you a very quick story. He, him and his friend, um, kind of basically tour guided us around the country, and he, um, yeah, just two young guys. They were mechanical engineer students, and I was I just finished my mechanical engineering pretty much. So he, uh, so we're getting along pretty well, and just took us everywhere we wanted to go, and you know, amazing places that you know locals would take people, but you know, as a tourist, you would never in a million years get to. And um, we good. We were uh, went and met his parents, and his, his dad was kind of a bit suspicious of us, and he kept apologizing for his mom. He said, "Oh, you know, mom, mom doesn't speak English, and you know, just yeah, you know, don't don't bother talking to mom, <laughs> kind of thing." Which we thought was a bit strange. And his mom was cooking us this food, like all homemade, amazing food. And he um, he went out. He was like, "Oh, you know, went out. I don't know if to use the phone or something." And she turned around in the most perfect English accented, clipped English, and said. I can actually speak English perfectly. I was an English teacher. He just keeps saying that to annoy me. <laughs> wow, that's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, um, you know, just lovely people. And then his his dad was actually a um, a journalist. And uh, I think that was probably part of his suspicion of us. Yeah. And uh, they took us for a drive and we said, oh, we're heading up to, um, there's a town right on the um, the border with Syria. And Syria at the time was in full-on war. Mm-hmm. And um, so we drove up and looked at a few different tourist sites along the way. And uh, I don't know if a lot of your listeners would have driven in the Middle East, but speed limits are very much optional. Um, <laughs> and seatbelts are also very optional. Uh, so it didn't take us long to get there. Um, and then we got there and we were pretty much, I would say probably within maybe 10, 15 K of the city. And um, their phone started ringing. And he answered it and he's having a good old chat. And he said, oh, that was my dad. and. We're like, okay. And he said, oh, he just heard from a friend of his that there's a bit of action happening on the streets and that maybe we shouldn't go into the city. And we, we, what, what do you mean action? He goes, oh, apparently some people have come across the border and there's a bit of a bit of a battle happening. And we said, a battle? And he goes, yeah, yeah, just you know, soldiers just having a bit of a shootout. And we're like, okay, maybe, maybe we shouldn't go in. He said, oh, we'll probably be okay. Well, actually, we'd be okay. We don't know if you'd be okay. And I said, yeah, well, we might give it a miss then. He said, oh, we'll go and have a look. So we drove up this hill outside of the city so we could see kind of down into the city. And it was still at a decent, like a very safe distance. But we could see, you know, tanks and APCs and people no, with no guns. Fer- no Ferraris and tanks? No, the there was no, no, no okay, yeah, the yeah, Ferraris, yeah, I think, yeah. were parked up for this, this uh, <laughs> event. But, yeah, there was basically a full-on battle wow. raging. Um, so, yeah, we said, yeah, we'll, we'll give that a miss. We might go somewhere else today. I'd pass on that one. But, yeah, she's... Uh, there's a few different interesting stories from Lebanon, but I'd love to go back. It's a beautiful place. So what stunning. would be, you say, your worst experience? Not necessarily like cultural-wise or whatever, mm. but, you know, mechanical or emergency or, you oh. know, like when, when you look at something, you go, that was just, it, you, know, it, it, you know, I could put my hand up and say, for example, you know, it just... It bloody rained all day, it rained all mm. night, or rah rah rah, or whatever. You know, yeah. like what? 
Oh, yeah. You know, know. like a, a motorbike leaves you pretty exposed to the elements, for example. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, listeners haven't really heard about my my uh, my curse. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If if I put up a, a tent of any fashion, yep. it will rain. Rain will come If I'm not in something that's more solid or as solid as a caravan or worse, it will rain. And yep. I've had people doubt me on that. Um, my <laughs> wife has doubted me on that when she first met me. She now knows full well. She's learned. Um, that without doubt, and the same goes for my brother and my father and my son, any of the people with the male gene in my family, get rained on if we camp. Yeah. Okay, so when I think about hunting and I think about swags or anything like that, rest assured I'm planning for it to be a torrential downpour, irrespective <laughs> of what you know the weatherman says. Um, so, you know, have you, have you had any experiences where you've just gone, this is just the absolute shits? Oh, <laughs> I suppose, yeah, you kind of, you always try and delete the, the bad memories you from try. your mind, but there's, there's certain but, things. But we learn from them, don't we? Yeah, well, you, you hope know, so, like, yeah. You, well, you'd, you'd hope so, yeah. But I learned to be prepared for rain. <laughs> yeah, well, it's probably a good thing by the sounds of it. Um, you're just no. thinking you're not ever going to come camping with me, right? <laughs> yeah, no, well, if I do, I'll just go a bit further away. I'm and I'll sitting there thinking that. <laughs> I know, I am. Um, Weather-wise, I've had a few different, uh, especially on that trip where we we were pretty much backpacking then. So we um, you can't pack everything when you're carrying it on your back. Mm. And we uh, it was in Jordan. I think that's why we went to Lebanon because we were we were it was middle of winter in Jordan, which you think in the desert it wouldn't be so bad, but as if mm. you've been in the desert, it gets bloody cold. Absolutely freezing overnight. And uh, yes, literally freezing. In this case, we um, went up to a place called Karak. There's a castle there. And it's kind of slightly elevated and a beautiful place, like beautiful, like um, old ancient city and got this, uh, I suppose, like glamping, I would say, accommodation. And I thought it was strange there was no one else there. And uh, we checked in and did all that and really cool, like old stone rooms. And as the, the evening wore on, the temperature just dropped and dropped and dropped. And I ended up. I actually just thought of another story I'll come back to. um, (laughs) I ended up, weather related also, I ended up um, wearing everything I owned. Uh, If I could have got the backpack on me somehow, I would have worn that as well. Uh, It was absolutely freezing. It's probably the coldest ever I've been. And I've been been to minus 35, minus 40, and I wasn't even close to as cold as I was then. Just because, you know, and again, it, it transfers across to hunting and, and general outdoor stuff. If you're dressed badly, you're you're gonna have a bad time. Yeah. And that's pretty much what we were. We were not prepared not for prepared that. For like we'd it, been yeah. in basically sunshine and nice weather for for months at this stage, and we were not acclimatized. And yep. it's just, it's that kind of cold where it's not cold enough to be frozen yet. So it's, it was snowing, but it was still damp. Yeah. And it just gets into you. It Everything just soaks into every soaks part up. of you, and it was just miserable. Yeah, lived that in in Shanghai one yes. year where. I think I worked out we didn't actually see the sun for two months. And yeah. It was between two and about five degrees. Yep. And you just got so, so, so soaked with the cold. Yep. And, and then as someone who now lives in a, a very sunny country, you miss the sun. Mm-hmm. You you realise when you haven't seen it for a while that you actually Absolutely. miss it. Um, I don't know how I survived 21 years in Ireland. <laughs> um, but the, the other story about being cold was I flew... <clears throat> flew back to Ireland at Christmas time for a wedding and I'd known about the wedding for a very long time but for some reason in my head I just decided not to book a flight and uh, so last minute I said oh, I better I've got actually it was my sister's wedding so I had to go so I said oh, I better Classic. book a flight then and I, I looked for flights and Christmas time is not a good time to fly to Europe it's very expensive mm-hmm. 
So I searched and I searched and I found this cheap flight and I thought, there we go, cheap flight, that'll do me. Yeah, it's got a, it's got a few waiting at waiting times, there's a few hours at airports, so I'll be okay. I'm you know, I'm young and stupid. And uh, I flew into Guangzhou in China. And I think I had I might have had at least one stop before that. So for listeners at home, that's Guangzhou. Yeah, Guangzhou, yeah. <laughs> Uh, close enough You're and right. uh, it's implied um, but yeah I think I might have actually that was probably the second or maybe third stop which you know I don't know what direction that's I ended up that's a fair flying. few between here and there yeah wow. it was it was definitely the wrong direction in a, a couple hops. of cases but I, I walked into the airport and I thought uh, at the time I'd flown from sunny Queensland in you know basically summertime heat yep. and I was in shorts and a, a t-shirt mm. and I think I had a hoodie on and because I was you know trusting i uh, checked in my bags oh. and the only thing i had on me was my suit because i couldn't really pack the suit so i had just a suit and nothing else and i walked into the airport and i thought i've got a decent layover i think it was there for maybe six or eight hours and I thought, i'll be okay you know it's, it's going to be cold here but you know i'll be in an airport as it turns out the airport was not actually really indoors it was kind of outdoors <laughs> So the windows along the airport were like slats, mm -hmm. which were you know, missing one in between. Mm -hmm. Everyone else at the airport was wearing big duffel jackets and scarves and hats and everything else. And there was me standing in my shorts and T-shirt going, well, this is going to be a very long six to eight hours. Oh, dear. So I actually ended up going and putting my suit on. Yep. So I'm walking out of the airport half dressed in a suit, um, <laughs> just shivering. And I, I couldn't sit down because if I sat down, I just froze. Yep. So I just had to walk around and around and around for six hours. I was never happier to get on a plane, I tell you. It was just misery. <laughs> a but nice again, cup of tea or something straight up. Eh? <laughs> yeah, just pour it on my hands just, to try and defrost. Just give me scotch. No, don't want yeah, it on the rocks. Just load me up. Yeah, it was, uh, it's a, a lesson in uh, preparedness. Always bring a jacket, maybe some pants. 100%. Be prepared. So if you were to give a, a bit of advice to someone getting into the, the adventure riding and, and travelling as you do it, yep. um, what would it be? Um, don't overthink it. Just buy a bike and go. But make sure you've got warm clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't follow my example. Yeah, righto. No, I definitely, uh, I think um, a lot of people, and you'll see it now, coming out of the back of COVID where people have been locked up in their sheds for too long. A lot of people have bought bikes and spent a lot of time and effort building them and putting mm. accessories on and doing all this and they didn't ride them. And yep. now there's a lot of bikes coming up for sale that are brand new with all the gear on it that have never been used. Mm. Um, you're better off just buy something and just go and ride it, spend mm. the money on fuel and you know, memories, make the memories. Not, not, you know, I love building stuff. I love, tinkering and building things and i suppose it's your nature as an engineer yeah, you know, yeah hands-on pretty much what i do for a living now so yep. it's um it's definitely you can waste a lot of time in the shed too as much as i love my shed um you're better off just yeah just get on the bike and go mm. or get on your four-wheel drive or you know book your, your hunting trip or yep. camping trip just go and do it like life is short um the more memories you make the richer you are i reckon I've got a, I've got a few memories. I wish I could remember better. <laughs> I probably drank too much for that. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's exactly. It's it's probably that applies to everything in life. You just, you know, you can you can have a lot of ideas, but if you don't actually do anything with them, they're just ideas. Mm -hmm. You you got to action them. You got to get out and do it. And you know, a lot of people enjoy planning, and and sometimes it can you, you know things can get over planned. Yep. 
Um, this I just had a family holiday and it just we overplanned, overfilled it, and it's never been my way. I kind of that's why I like traveling for long periods of time because I like the freedom of just just going, just mm. deciding what you do and going where you want to go day to day. Yep, and and I touched on it too again um, in the, in another episode with regards to um, equipment. You know, um, my good friend Barry, who um, who was talking to and talking about with regards to to um, firearms, and um, and Dave, um, who we dubbed the accountant um, <laughs> uh, from the movie. Um, you know, Barry's uh, very has an affinity for tuning bows, mm-hmm. and and for yourself probably doesn't know. You know, it's not like tuning a guitar, but in essence, it, it kind of is. Where you have the components, and and in a, you have strings on a bow. Yeah. And you can have them at different lengths, and it's not about the harmony that they make and the noise that they put out, but it's about the way they work in yeah. in synchron- synchronized fashion, so that the arrow comes out as cleanly as and efficiently as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a bit of an art form in itself, and it's a very sort of uh, technical, patience bending mm. um, undertaking to learn. And it's never something that that I've had much of an inkling for. Um, I've been a keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. If it goes or I point it, then yep. I'm happy with the way it works, um, and and that's just how I've operated, you know. And um, and uh, Dave, as I mentioned too, he's he's very particular with his firearms and, and getting them absolutely, you know, spot on, in every little nook and cranny, so to speak. But um, I'm the sort of person who was if it, if it points where I need it to point, and if it mm. shoots where I need it to shoot, then then I'm happy with the way it works. Um, and each each to their own, but you know, uh, I'm not an overthinker in that regard. Yep. 100%. Yeah. There's there's nothing wrong with keeping it simple. I think. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up, Keith. Yep. Sounds good, mate. Much appreciate you uh, taking the time out. Yep. No problem at and, all. And um, much appreciate the uh, the two ladies sitting here with their their affinity for discussion. Mm. Absolutely, extremely. Yep. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Our wine Sub- glasses are empty. Subdued, I think. <laughs> they've uh, they've really struggled to uh, to not uh, be involved in conversation, which is yes. un- unlike yeah. them at yep. most of the occasions. So. Can't wait to join in. Um, no, I appreciate it, um, and I'm sure that um, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool insight to um, to a different part of outdoor life and a, yeah. a different adventure pursuit to um, yeah, slightly to, um, slightly different aspect, but also very similar in a lot of ways. No, I think it's really cool, and I've got a. You know, I've been to quite a number of countries, but not quite the, the seven zero mark. So, <laughs> yeah, um, it's getting up there. I think I'll be doing well to catch up to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good luck. <laughs> got, three or, got three or four to t- tick off for later in this year with yep. some big travels in plan. So, that's the key. To that. Just got to start. Yeah, that's it. Got to go. Awesome. All right. Thanks heaps, mate. No problem. Cheers. See ya. Well, there you go. Episode two in the bank. I really hope you enjoyed that discussion with Keith. Oh, I think it was. Uh, a really intriguing opportunity to delve into uh, a slightly different uh, slant to the the outdoor pursuits than um, than what uh, a typical hunting style podcast covers. I think Keith made some really really pertinent points there. Uh, two of the things he said struck home with me. He said, "Make the memories," and he said, "The more memories you make, the richer you are." And I don't think he could be any more correct. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I uh, I hope you give us a like, give us a share, uh, give us a follow, and that uh, and that perhaps you took something away from it like I have. So get out there, 
enjoy the outdoors, get stuck into whatever it is that your pursuit is and, uh, and check in with us soon. And please get in touch and say good day. Thank you very much, guys. Talk soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Hunting Republic podcast. Catch you later.